Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast, the place to learn field-tested, no BS tactics to growth hack your online business, and finally, live life on your own terms. Now, your host, Gael and Mark. Hey guys, Perrin here. We have a really great podcast for you today. Before we get into that, I wanted to give you a quick reminder that Authority Hacker Pro will be open until 2 a.m. Eastern Time, Thursday, October 19th. That means if you're in the United States, you should probably pick it up by Wednesday, October 18th. If you're into building authority sites, if you want to learn how we build authority sites and make money from them, Authority Hacker Pro won't be open for quite some time after this round. So you can go to authorityhacker.com backslash pro to get your copy before it closes. All right, let's get into the podcast. Hey everybody, it's Perrin. Welcome back to the Authority Hacker Podcast. And today we have a very special guest. We don't normally have guests that are quite as successful with their blog as our guest today, and that is Michelle Schroeder-Gardner. She runs Making Sense of Sense. It's a blog that has grown. I know you started publishing your income reports in like 2012, and from there, it's grown to, I think, like uh, from four-digit income to making over a million dollars a year. So we have someone who has gone from small to really, really, really big, and hopefully we can get some really good insights from that. So, Michelle, how are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm super good. Thank you so much for being here. We can jump right into it. I think the first thing we need to do for the people at home who somehow by now don't know about your site is to just tell us what the site is all about. Yeah, so I'm making sense of sense. I talk about pretty much everything that's related to my life. So I talk about ways to make extra money, the best ways to save money, achieving your dream life. So like tips about building your confidence and being successful. I also talk about traveling full time because me and my husband RV full time. And I talk about how to make money blogging. I pretty much talk about anything and everything that I find interesting. I love making sense of sense and I love blogging. And on it. I know the answer to this, but for the fucks at home who may not know, why did you start the blog? The reason why I started making sense of sense is pretty funny and definitely not the way that the average blogger probably starts a blog. And it's probably not the way that most people even realize that I start my blog, especially now that I make six figures a month. Back in the summer of 2011, I started making sense of sense with the aim of teaching people how to save money as well as journaling my personal finance journey after reading a women's magazine that featured a personal finance website. So I started a blog just as a way to talk about my financial situation, to talk about my student loan debt, to talk about how I was living paycheck to paycheck. I was anonymous back then. I did not start my blog with the intention of making money. I actually didn't know that blogs could make money back then. And I didn't even know that blogs existed. Like the, when I started mine, that's when I found out that they were out there. So it's definitely a weird start. But after six months, around six months after I started my blog, a blogging friend emailed me and asked me if I wanted to place a sponsored post on my blog for a company that they knew of. And that's how I earned my first $100. And you started also, or part of that like financial journey was also because you had a bunch of student loans and you wanted to help people as you were kind of figuring it out yourself, yeah? Yeah. I had around $38,000 in student loan debt after I graduated with my finance MBA. So I was talking about my student loans a lot on my blog. If you look at my past really old blog post from like 2011, 
or 2012, it's pretty funny because back then I didn't know that blogs could really make money. So on my blog, I'm talking about how I need to find a part-time job and how I need to find ways to make more money to pay off my student loan debt. And it never once occurred to me, maybe I could blog and make extra money. It took a little bit longer than that in order for me to figure that out. And here you are, right? So you make over a million dollars a year with your blog. I think the last income report I read was for July, which was like $110,000. And then we, of course, covered you in one of our big blog posts that was profiling highly successful bloggers. What I'd like to do before we jump into some of these nitty gritty tactical things is to get an idea for just the macro timeline, like the bird's eye timeline of $0 to a million dollars. Yeah. So the first year that I had my blog, I earned probably less than $5,000 from my blog, probably less than a thousand. And then after, so I left my day job as a financial analyst to become a full-time blogger in October of 2013. And that was two years after I started my blog. And at that point I was actually making $10,000 a month from my blog around that amount. It grew really quickly after that first hundred dollars, six months in 2016, I earned $979,000. And then for 2017, I'm on track to make between $1.5 million to about $1.75 million. So it's definitely grown really quickly over the years. Yeah, there's a hockey stick there for sure. And I think <laughs> it's inspiring for people who are just starting blogs right now to know that maybe we're not all going to make a million dollars a year, but certainly you can make money with it. And for a lot of us, including me with all my blogs, there's a growth period. So 2011, you made, what'd you say, $5,000? I don't remember. It was probably way less than that. <laughs> Very little, right? Yeah. And I know for lots of my sites, we go through a period where we make nothing the first year and we don't even worry about it. So super inspiring. But you do lots of stuff with your site. You market in a lot of different ways. And you make money in a lot of different ways. You also teach people how to earn a living with their blog. So there's a lot we can talk about around here, of course. We like to think we like to keep things as actionable as possible. So what I'd like to do is just zero in on some of the things you do that are most interesting to me and then pick your brain about them and hopefully discover some good, solid, tactical info maybe we can all use to build better online businesses. And the first thing I want to talk yeah, about, great. something that not a lot of people in our space do is Pinterest. So Pinterest is something that I've just been getting into. We actually had Kate all, I don't know if, if you know Kate, but we had yep. Kate all on the podcast a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago. So I've been getting into it a lot and I don't see a lot of marketers in the Pinterest space, or I, I mean, I, I see them there, or like finance bloggers, but I haven't seen anybody who's quite as successful. So just some quick stats for the people who are listening and may not be able to look it up. Here are just a few of the blog posts Michelle has published and sort of their respective pins. So we've got like 30 plus ways to save money each month. That's 51,000 pins how to make an extra $1,000 a month, 69,000 pins, how to live on one income, which is about, I think, like in a marriage, living on one person's income, and that's 73,000 pins. Then we have 75 ways to make extra money, 104,000 pins, and I think your top pinned post, correct me if I'm wrong, is my student loans are finally fully paid off, which is 105,000 pins. So pretty, and you know, the list goes on. There's like hundreds of pages that have thousands of pins, right? So yeah. what I'd like to know first is 
how does, and you also talk about Pinterest in your course, but what I'd like to know first is sort of for you, how does your Pinterest success translate into dollars or how does it factor into making sense of sense overall business model? Yeah. So my main goal with Pinterest is to bring readers back to my blog. So some people will place like affiliate links on Pinterest, direct links. For me, though, my main goal is to promote a blog post from Making Sense of Sense on Pinterest. So I'll create a great Pinterest-friendly image, pin my blog post straight to Pinterest, hoping that people will come back to my blog. And that's one of the major traffic drivers for Making Sense of Sense. I'll receive anywhere from around 100,000 to a few hundred thousand readers each month coming from Pinterest. And then another way I use Pinterest to my advantage is I will promote a free email course such as my free how to start a blog email course on Pinterest and I will lead people directly to the sign up form for that and that goes over really really well. So you have sign up form for the course and you can send people straight there from Pinterest and then when people are coming to your blog are you hoping to get them on an email list are you sending them to blog posts that have affiliate offers in them what's the non sign up post just like you know the quote unquote regular blog post what's the function of that yeah so there's a lot of reasons i do that to of course build traffic and bring new readers over to my blog. Eventually, I would hope that they would sign up for my email list. So I do have email sign up forms on my blog post. And then it's also to improve affiliate income. I do have affiliate links or I will link within a blog post to another article that has affiliate links. Eventually, the goal is to just gain new readers. The email list is the goal pretty much. And with the email list, you are monetizing that with courses and the same old like pumping out blog posts to the people who you already know like your content? Yeah, yep. And then Pinterest would be the beginning of that funnel. Yes. So I also was looking at your course and I know that in it's a course all about affiliate marketing. Inside that course, you have a lesson called The Crazy Effect Pinterest Can Have. So in our community, a lot of us are primarily affiliate marketers, and a lot of us are using primarily affiliate programs like Amazon. So I imagine if you're teaching affiliate marketers, you're probably seeing lots of us type of folks. And so I was wondering if you could tell us why Pinterest would be valuable for affiliate marketers in general, but specifically maybe for people in more physical goods niches who are using stuff like Amazon? Pinterest is great for affiliate marketers. People go on Pinterest because they want to buy something eventually. Um, They might go on there because they want to buy an outfit. They might want to buy something in order to cook. They might want to buy a book. They might want to buy an online course. They are going on Pinterest to see what they want to buy. I don't think there's any other social media outlet that has as many buyers as Pinterest does. So Pinterest is a great way to bring traffic to your affiliate links or to your website and eventually convert those people into buyers. And for the small timers, would you recommend a customer journey that looks something like making sense of sense where you're mostly promoting blog posts that might have affiliate links, maybe signing people up for an email list, or is there something different that smaller bloggers need to be doing to turn those people into revenue? A lot of people are afraid to go on Pinterest, especially if they're brand new and they haven't ever done anything on it. But Pinterest is not so much about followers. So like you'll see my account, I have over 90,000 Pinterest followers. Followers don't exactly equate to 
traffic. So you might see someone with 1 million Pinterest followers. They might get no traffic, but then there might be someone with 1,000 Pinterest followers that gets thousands and thousands of traffic from Pinterest each month. So I would definitely say that a new blogger should be on Pinterest because Pinterest has a great algorithm that shows readers and your audience exactly what they want to see. And it's not so much focused on if they're following you or not already. They have a great search engine and that definitely benefits new bloggers and all bloggers. And what's your basic Pinterest strategy? So are you writing blog posts first and then creating just a Pinterest friendly image? Are you focused on creating as many boards as possible? Are you automating? And I know you could talk for an hour on this, but (laughs) basically, just what are the moving parts going from idea to content to Pinterest? So I will write a blog post. I don't really think about the Pinterest side of it until after it's already, the blog post has already been through my editor and has been done up and improved and everything like that. But after I get my blog post back, I will create a Pinterest friendly image. I don't know the exact sizing that I usually use. It tends to vary, but whatever you do, you always want a very long vertical image. So if you go on Pinterest, you'll see some images that are rectangular and horizontal. Those usually do not do well on Pinterest because of the way that their feed is. You need a very long image. You need something that's eye-catching, a great headline on the image so that readers will want to click on over. And then most of all, you want a great description. So you want to tell your readers or the audience on Pinterest why they should head on over. So I like to write a description that makes it sound like I'm talking to a friend because if I'm on Pinterest, those are the ones that usually catch my eye and I know that that's how they usually catch other people's eyes. So that's definitely something big that you really wanna do. And then there's also, right now, they just implemented hashtags on Pinterest. That's still a brand new thing, but I think that could definitely be really big just like with Instagram or Twitter. And are you automating it in any way? Yes. So I automate it with two things. I use Board Booster to loop my popular pins to my boards and other group boards that I'm in. That saves a ton of time. It's like a set it and forget it. You might go in for about 30 minutes each month and switch things around to maintain it. And then I also use Tailwind through Kate All, actually. She manages the Tailwind side of it so that I can promote other people's pins to Pinterest. And it's all automated and scheduled, and it saves me a ton of time. So for a new blogger out there and someone who is just starting, they may not know which traffic source they should be going for, and they only have so much time in the day. Where does Pinterest rank in SEO, paid ads, Facebook, Twitter, How important would you say it is for an affiliate marketer compared to maybe some of the other traffic sources and the other customer acquisition channels? I would say Pinterest would definitely be one of the top ones. Since Pinterest isn't so much focused on how many followers you have, and you can have a low amount of followers and it can still translate to thousands of views each month, I would definitely say that that should probably be every blogger's number one traffic source. And it's so easy to use. I mean, you just create one image for your blog post and then you just... You can promote it so easily over and over again through services such as Board Booster or Tailwind. So it's a no-brainer. It's so easy to do. So you might as well definitely do it. Let's talk about revenue stacking. That's a term that we, I don't know if we coined it, but I say it all the time. (laughs) But what it means is 
stacking different revenue streams on top of each other. It's something we talk about a lot here because it's a good way to take the same amount of traffic and earn more money from it. When I was writing the blog post where we were profiling highly successful bloggers, you maybe more than anybody are getting revenue from lots of different sources. And one of the surprising things to me was that it wasn't just big revenue sources like I might expect with a seven-figure blog. There were revenue sources bringing in 100 bucks a month, 500 bucks a month, 1500 bucks a month. And so I want to talk about this concept of revenue stacking. And where I think I want to start is to just talk about the three basic types of revenue that a blog might bring in, which is one, affiliate commissions, two, display advertising, and then three, which is selling your own product. So could you talk about why you chose to do all three? Because I believe you do make money from all three and then maybe some pros and cons to each one of those. Yeah. So I'm always looking to further diversify my income streams. So when I first started my blog and started making money with it, my main form of income was sponsored advertising and display advertising. And that is quite limiting just because it could drop significantly in one month. So my goal back then was to always diversify as much as I could. So eventually I started focusing on affiliate marketing. And then eventually that led to creating my Making Sense of Affiliate Marketing course. So being diversified is key because you're not as reliant on one income. You can focus on other things. If one thing drops, you're not like super stressed out by it. Being diversified is definitely a really good idea for all affiliate marketers and bloggers and website owners. What do you think the pros and cons are of affiliate marketing versus advertising versus your own product? Yeah. So there's definitely pros and cons for each. For affiliate marketing, it's nice because if you already love a product, it can be really easy to promote to your audience. And you can do like a blog post review on a product or include an affiliate link in a blog post and earn money from it years down the line. So for example, my how to start a WordPress blog, I created that back in, I think, 2014. And I am still getting a ton of traffic to it each and every single day. And due to that one blog post, I'm actually to this day still earning around anywhere from $35,000 to $55,000 a month from it. And it was something that I created three years ago, over three years ago. So that's definitely a big positive affiliate marketing. The downside would be that it's not your product. So... You have to really stay on top of maintaining that blog post, making sure that the company still aligns with your message and so on. With my course, I love having a course. I don't know why I waited so long to create my first product. Creating your own product is great because it's your product. You're your own boss. You can decide what you're doing with it. If you have your own affiliates, what exactly it is that you're selling. The downside is is that you have to manage all sides of it. So you're a customer service, you're creating the product, you have to handle who's selling your product, and so on and so on. And then with sponsored advertising, that's fairly easy, but the negative is that it can drop to $0 the next month. You might make $30,000 from it one month, and then it might just dry up for a couple of months. You just really don't have any control over that. So you also stack... Inside of affiliate marketing, you also stack different affiliate programs. And I know this is something you talk about quite a bit in your Making Sense of Affiliate Marketing course. So my main question here is why so many affiliate programs? And sort of inside of that is why, if you're making seven figures a year, are you even bothering 
with something that's making $300 a month. Not that I disagree, <laughs> but I'm curious to see what the thought process is. So there. most of my affiliate income is entirely passive. I hardly ever write new affiliate blog posts. Since everything is so automated and scheduled through social media and through promoting it, that income is just a no-brainer because I'm not doing anything to earn it. I might have made the blog post a couple of years ago and it's still bringing in money. So it's definitely just a no-brainer. It's really passive. And how do you track all that stuff logistically? So you've got like maybe a dozen different affiliate programs that are all paying you money. Are they all going into some sort of tool or is there someone who keeps track of it for you? I am very like, so I have an Excel sheet and I just go in and check it once a month. Very boring and non-technical pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) Keep it simple, right? So for a newer blogger is... And I know you have a section in your course all about finding and signing up for affiliate programs. For a newer blogger, how much energy should they be putting into finding, say, as many affiliate programs as possible versus doing an 80-20 approach and finding one or two? What do you usually recommend? Um, I usually recommend that a new blogger focus on just a few affiliate programs. I say that the limit should be 10 for a new blogger, but even 10 is a lot. So a new blogger might want to start with one, two, or maybe even three and focus on those, focus on including those on your blog, on your website, on social media. And then eventually when you feel like you have enough time to focus on other ones, slowly incorporate those into your schedule and onto your, into your business. And how do people find them? You can find affiliate programs in many ways. My favorite way is just to take products that you're already using and see if they have an affiliate program. Most products do have affiliate programs, so that's super easy to do. But yeah, I feel like that's the best way. The second way to find affiliate products to promote is to ask your audience, what do you think they want to know more about? You can send them an email, survey them. It's super easy to find out what your readers want to see. The last thing I think I want to do here is you know, like a crazy idea I had. I want to do a rapid fire session with you because I think you were in a really unique position. You have had a small blog, a blog that you didn't even know could make (laughs) money. And now you have a huge blog, a blog that makes you're tracking one and a half million dollars this year. So you've got this really crazy bird's eye view of what it takes to go from small to big and you teach people who have small blogs themselves, how to grow their blogs. So what I wanted to do is just throw out a few different areas of internet marketing and blogging. And for you to quickly tell me maybe what's the difference for a small blog and a big blog. Sound good? Yeah, sounds great. SEO. SEO. I I really don't do a ton with SEO. So a bigger blog probably does more, I'm assuming. And a smaller blog, it would be more difficult, I feel like, but it's not impossible. But either way, I always recommend that a blog focus on more organic traffic, such as with networking with other bloggers, getting more natural links on a blog, guest posting and other things like that. And do you recommend guest posting as a strategy? I mean, you have a pretty crazy like contributor list yourself. Um, I think guest posting can be a great strategy if you have the time for it and you are strategic with who you guest post on. Social media, big blogs versus small blogs. Social media is definitely important for both. A smaller blog might have a more difficult time getting on social media outlets such as Facebook, but it's not impossible. And if you spend a ton of time on Facebook, you can definitely grow that to a good following. And Pinterest is definitely something that a smaller blog wants to do as well. But social media is important for both, for sure. 
building products. Building products. That's important for both. Everything's going to be important for both, as I can see. With a smaller blog, I feel like so new bloggers feel like they have nothing to teach or nothing to sell, but everyone has some kind of expertise. So even if you're a brand new blogger, I'm sure there's something you could teach. doesn't even have to be about blogging. And then with a huge $100,000 a month blog, I mean, there's tons of things you could probably teach. I think they're definitely both important. Would you say it's easier for a bigger blog to launch a product? Probably just because a bigger blog probably has more traffic. But there's also tons of smaller blogs that have a very good loyal following. So if you have a loyal following, you can probably sell a product really well. Hiring employees. Hiring employees. That's definitely good for both. I waited so long to outsource anything on making sense of sense. And that was a huge mistake, really wrecked my work life balance. And it gets easier as you make $100,000 a month, of course. But if you start out small as well, it's great to outsource because you can spend more of your time focusing on the things that truly matter with your business. Last one here is lifestyle. Small blogs versus big blogs. Um, I guess that's kind of a tough question. I mean, even if you have a smaller blog, maybe you have a better work-life balance. But then if you have a bigger blog, maybe you have a huge team and maybe that's stressful. So it really depends on the specific person in the specific blog. Back when I was making $10,000 a month, I didn't outsource anything. And that was really stressful because I was working like 50 to 100 hours a week. And now that I'm making $100,000 a month, I'm outsourcing more and I'm only working like 10 hours a week. So it really depends on the person. And I definitely recommend outsourcing. So we've come to the last part of the podcast, which is where you get to plug anything you want. I think we've already mentioned your course, but you can tell people where to follow you, what else to buy or whatever you want. So have at it. Yeah. So you can find me on my personal finance and lifestyle blog, makingsenseofsense.com. You can find my affiliate marketing course at makingsenseofaffiliatemarketing.com. If you're not a blogger and you're thinking about it, I also have a free course that you can find at makingsenseofsense.com slash free course. And if you're looking for travel photos since I RV full time, you can find them on my Instagram account. And I can't believe I didn't ask this at the beginning. Making a million dollars a year, not a lot of people maybe would choose to RV full time. But can we ask why? Yeah, me and my husband love to travel. We love to see new places. So RVing just made sense for us because you can bring your home everywhere with you. And then we also have two dogs and one of them's 80 pounds. So it's not like you could really travel full time really comfortably with her. She wouldn't be too happy that way. She's older and very picky. Very 1% of a dog. (laughs) (laughs) So she loves RVing. So that's what we're doing. It's all about her. Well, thanks so much for stopping by to chat. Let me know what you guys think in the comment. Make sure you go follow Michelle on her social media channels. Make sure you follow her blog and check out her stuff. If you are somebody who makes seven figures a year, drop me an email because I want to talk to you too. But thanks so much for being here, Michelle. Yeah, thank you so much. Looking forward to seeing this live. Thanks for listening to the Authority Hacker Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, don't forget to rate us on iTunes and send us a screenshot on authorityhacker.com slash bonus to claim your free premium Authority Hacker training.